This podcast is a ministry of Trinity Baptist Church in Jonesboro, Tennessee. Trinity Baptist Church exists to exalt God in worship, to equip disciples, and to evangelize the lost. For more information about our church, just visit our website at trinity3e.org. Genesis 21, verses 1 through 7, will be our focus as we continue our study through the life of Abraham. This is a passage that at first glance doesn't seem to lean itself to preparing for communion. In fact, I struggled with that. You know, sometimes preaching is like any other job. There are some weeks where, man, it just goes smoothly, and as you prepare, the outline just flows. And then there are other weeks where you're like the person digging ditches that just keeps hitting rock. And it's like, Lord, what do I need to do with this? What Show me. This week was one of those challenging weeks for me. And I kept coming back to share with you three virtues that have been on my heart for the last, I guess, six or seven months. Faith, hope, and love. Faith, hope, and love. Those three virtues are scattered throughout the Bible and emphasized repeatedly in the New Testament. Not just for 1 Corinthians 13. But as I kept praying and thinking about those three virtues, faith, hope, and love, the question kept coming back to me, what is the foundation for these virtues? What are we basing them on? I mean, you talk about faith, there are many in the world that would argue and say, well, faith is just a a shot in the dark. It's blind faith. It's a, a leap of faith. There's no substance to it. Others would say that hope, well, it's just wishful thinking. And others would come to love. And you'll have to forgive me as I quote a song from the 80s. What's love? It's just a secondhand emotion. What's the basis of these things? Well, the answer to that question is one word. God. Now, I know that sounds churchy. And you would expect that because we're at church. But follow with me in this. The character of God is the basis for each of those. Faith, hope, and love have their foundation in who God is. But this begs another question. How do we know what God's like? Now, I know it's very easy to say, well, we know what God's like because of the Bible. He tells us what He is like, and that's true. But I also want to remind you that as God tells us what He is like, as He reveals who He is, it's much more than propositions. It's more than saying, well, God is light or God is love. Because the character of God is revealed in His actions. Everything that God does reveals who He is. Every miracle, every act of compassion tells us something about who God is. God never is like the redneck who looks at Peter and just says, Hey, watch this. He does things for a reason. And that reason is to demonstrate His glory. And His glory is demonstrated in the promises That God keeps. His actions reveal who He is. 
And the promises that he has, give, has given us are fulfilled in his actions. So it is these things, the promises of God, that serve as a foundation for knowing God, for understanding the actions of God, and being able to live with faith, hope, and love. Now, I know talking about promises makes us a little bit uncomfortable. We get uncomfortable because we all know the pain of broken promises. The friend who says, yeah, I'll pay you back. And we're still waiting. That secret that you shared in confidence only to find out it didn't stay in confidence. A promise broken or a vow that was not kept. Those broken promises often cause people to become cynical toward God. How can I trust God? How can I know that God won't let me down? And that's why this morning as we think of faith, hope, and love, we root it in the character of God as revealed in His actions as He keeps His promises. And we see finally in Genesis 21, 1 through 7, the promise God made to Abraham finally fulfilled. Church, it's been 25 years since we've been in Genesis. Just kidding. It's been 25 years since God told Abraham, you'll be the father of a, of a nation. But before you can be the father of a nation, you've got to have a father of one child. And that had not happened for 25 years. Abraham and Sarah had been on this roller coaster of ups and downs and expectations of, of successes and sin. Abraham is 100 years old. Sarah's not far behind. She's a spry young 90. God, how are you going to do this? Look at the text. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said. And the Lord did to Sarah as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. May God be glorified in the reading and hearing of his word this morning. Now I want to tell you, I have really nothing deeply profound to share with you. I have three things from this passage that I want us to keep in mind as we come to share communion this morning. First, this is probably nothing new to you, but we need to hear it again and again. Nothing can keep God from fulfilling his promises. Nothing. Nothing can stop him from being faithful to his word. What God has said, God will do. This is emphasized in verses 1 and 2, in fact, throughout the passage. Because notice how it comes back again and again that this was the work of the Lord. Notice verse 1. The Lord visited Sarah. And I love the phrase, as he had said. And then it's repeated just in case we miss it. The Lord did to Sarah. What? As he promised. Then in verse 2, Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age 
at the time, in other words, at the exact right time of which God had spoken to him. In fact, it comes back to emphasize the age of Abraham. Verse 5, he was 100 when, he, when Isaac was born. Verse 7, Sarah is still in shock, which we can understand. Who would have said I would nurse a child? Who would have thought that I would born the old coot a son in his old age? That's in essence what she says in verse 7. There was every reason for, for this promise not to be fulfilled. Age and time were taken as toll. But yet God can do all things. Now once again, I know that's something we get used to hearing. But we need to be reminded of that. That God can split seas and stop the sun in its course across the sky. We need to be reminded that God gives the widow food miraculously and he feeds 5,000. He can set free the demon possessed. He can raise the dead and come out of the tomb himself. There is nothing that our God cannot do. But you know why we struggle? It's the weight. You see, that's where, where life meets our theology. Lord, I know you can do all things. How long, O oh Lord? Lord, I know you can do this. I'm praying for this. How long? That's a question that every one of us have asked at one time or another. I would never be so bold as to stand up here and tell you, well, I know why God's making you wait. I, I don't. That's God's prerogative. But my firm belief is this, that God is active in the waiting. That God is preparing you in some way for what he is doing. He's bringing circumstances to pass while you wait that will give him the greatest glory and work the greatest good in your life. Waiting's hard. That's where faith, hope, and love come into play. Often we don't understand what God was doing until we look back. That's why it's important at times to remember not our failures, but to remember the times where we prayed and to be able to say, this is what God did. There are many such instances in my life and in the, my, my relationship with my wife that we look back on where we waited, where we're waiting now and we see what God is doing. We often laugh about the fact that we met in August of 1986. Jody of the beautiful blonde hair and gorgeous voice, me of the blue jean jacket and mullet haircut. And we started dating. Dated for about eight months until in July of 1987 we broke up. I was still smitten with her. Whenever me and my friends would go to, to Chattanooga, I'd say, could we just drive by her house? What for? Just drive by there. I wasn't stalking, okay? <laughs> for four years, for four years, we were broken, broken apart. Then in 1990, when we were students at Carson Newman, we started dating again. I look back on that now, and her and I both realized at that point in 1987, we were not ready have a serious relationship so God in that intervening time was working in our lives through all the ups and downs of life working in our spiritual maturity so that when the time came we were ready to begin a serious relationship I don't know what you're waiting on right now from God but I want to remind you that while you are waiting he is at work so don't lose heart Encourage one another with this thought that God will keep His Word and He is active. And while you are waiting, 
Be obedient to what you know to do. In fact, the second thing I would point out is this, that a promise kept calls for obedience. Notice in verses 3 and 4, it emphasizes that Abraham was obedient to God in naming Isaac. Isaac means he laughs. And then in circumcising Isaac on the eighth day. This was an act of faith that Abraham did based on what God had done. He was obedient. In all the ups and downs of life, the failures, Abraham was obedient when God worked. Now, the order of this is crucial because it sets a pattern for us to understand how we are forgiven and how we can be in heaven with God. You see, the order is never obedience, then salvation. The devil wants us to think that. He wants you and I to think that we've got to work enough, be good enough, be kind enough, do enough good things so that we are able to enter into heaven. That's not good news because we can never be good enough. In fact, Paul wrote to a church in Galatia dealing with this very question and he used Abraham as an example that our salvation is based on the promise of God. This church that was struggling with the idea of how they would be saved, Paul said, for all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. So in other words, if you're thinking, I've got to be good enough, I've got to follow the Ten Commandments completely in order to be saved, listen to what Paul says. You won't know freedom. Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. So if you set that standard, okay, I've got to obey God. All you have to do to be saved is obey God in everything. Never fail. That's such a heavy burden to bear. We can't do that. We fall short in our thinking, let alone in our actions. That's why the idea of legalism, of works, is never good news. And it's a heavy burden that many people bear, thinking, I'm not good enough. I've failed. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus was righteous, and that is applied to you. And you are saved by the promise of God. Paul points this out. He says the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say and to offsprings referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring who is Christ. In other words, in the birth of Isaac, who the, the salvation line would work through, Paul is saying that was a precursor to Christ being born, that through one person, God would fulfill his plan of salvation. The promise to Abraham to be a father of many nations was fulfilled through one baby, Isaac. Our promise of salvation, that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved, is fulfilled in one way, and that is through Jesus Christ. Paul says, this is what I mean. The law, which came 430 years after God spoke to Abraham, does not annul a covenant previously ratified by God so as to make the promise void. In other words, God did not do a, 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 a bait and switch. He's saying it has been the promise of God to bring salvation from the very beginning. He says, for if the inheritance comes by the law, that is our salvation comes by law, 
It's no longer comes by promise. But God gave it to Abraham by promise. Our salvation is based upon the promise of God that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It is the promise that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord is no longer under condemnation. It is not based on our works, but upon the work of God in Jesus and the promise that God gave us. In the summer of 2016, I'm sorry, in December of 2016, there was an accident that occurred at the amusement park Knott's Berry Farm outside of Los Angeles. It's one of those things, if you visit amusement parks, it's in the back of your mind. This ride was 148 feet in the air when it broke. And there were 20 people trapped in this ride. Now, the firefighters didn't have a ladder long enough to stretch up there and lean against it, so they determined they would have to get a firefighter or two into this this gondola thing and then get the people down one by one via a rope. Captain, A captain by the name of Larry Kurtz was the first one. He made it onto the cart, onto the, the gondola, and he said to them, I'm Captain Kurtz, and I'm going to get you down. This rope that we're going to be going down on can hold 9,000 pounds. You're going to be okay. The first one to go with Captain Kurtz down the rope was a seven-year-old boy by the name of Luke. Captain Kurtz grabbed Luke and he said, Luke, I'm not going to let you go. You just got to trust me. Your life is precious to me and I'm going to get you down safely. Now, what if he had looked at Luke and said, Now, Luke, before we go down, I've got to know that you can hold on to me. Give me 20 push-ups right now. If you can't do 20 push-ups, sorry. You've got to prove to me that you're able. That's not grace. Grace is hearing God say, I love you. I've died for you. Trust me. That's our hope of salvation. That's what is happening here. God fulfills His promise just as He fulfills His promise to us that all who have faith are saved. It is not by partaking of communion that saves you. It is not of any work lest any should boast. It is by the grace of God who holds on to us. And that's what brings us joy. That's the third point. A promise kept brings joy. Verses 6 and 7 almost have a giddiness to them. God, Sarah says, God made, remember Sarah laughed in mockery at God. Me have a baby? Yeah, right, God. Now she's saying, me have a baby? I did. Woohoo! And everyone, in church, it's okay. Look at what, everyone who hears will laugh over me. Isn't that great? Sarah says, you know, all those that come can have a good laugh over me. Joy at what God has accomplished. Joy at what God has done. God has promised to save all who believe. God has promised to work all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. God has promised to give rest to all who are weary and come to Him. God has promised, you hear me, promised to be with us. Take joy in those promises. I thought of the words of the old hymn that said, Why should I feel discouraged? Why should the shadow come? Why should my heart be lonely when Jesus is my portion? My constant 
friend is he. This morning, we will hold tangible reminders of his promises. Communions for believers. If you have never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, please, after this service, talk with me. I'll be hanging around the front. If you've never placed your faith in the Lord Jesus, when the plates come, just pass them by. But believer, take joy this morning because his body was broken for you. His death has brought you into a relationship with God that is never ending. And he will never, never leave you or forsake you. Rejoice in that this morning. Bow with me, if you will. And deacons, I want to ask you, even as I'm praying, deacons, if you will come up and just stand in front of the communion table. Father, this morning we rejoice in the promise kept. Lord, you've promised salvation to all who believe. And this morning, Father, every one of us finds ourselves waiting in some way. Some of us are waiting for specific prayers. We've been lifting up to you for a long time. Lord, give us strength and joy while we wait. And Father, all of us are waiting for the return of Jesus Christ. And Lord, today we do this as a reminder that just as you have kept the promises in the past, you keep them now. And Lord, you will come one day to bring us home unto you. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. So this morning, Father, let our confidence be in you. Our hope be in you. So that faith and love will be evident in our lives. In the name of Jesus I pray. Amen.